Welcome to the Imposture to Unstoppable podcast, where physicians can learn how to overcome imposter syndrome and create the career of their dreams. Candace Good is a board-certified psychiatrist and author of Own Your Present, a psychiatric a psychiatrist's guide to mindful meditation and living a more conscious lifestyle. Dr. Goods currently specializes in college, inpatient, and holistic mental health, and she can be found at howtoshrinkashrink.com or on social media at atgoodenoughdoc. Dr. Good and I talk about her experiences with imposter syndrome as a psychiatrist and as a mom, and we have a really frank and honest discussion about the fact that physicians will struggle with variety of imposter syndrome and maybe even depression, anxiety, and what that means and how it makes us feel in our careers. Dr. Candace Good, how are you today? I'm great. Thank you. Thanks so much for being here. Let's just jump right in here. And I want to hear all about imposter syndrome from your perspective. <laughs> sure. How much time do you have <laughs> when you have a psychiatrist? We're all about 57 minutes, right? This is but, great. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I think that certainly it's, I didn't have a word for it when I was in medical school. I, I was going to medical school in the late 90s. And, you know, I just knew there were times where I felt like, gee, somebody's soon going to find out that I don't belong here. It seemed like everybody else had it together and I didn't. I actually went to student assistance program to see a psychiatrist, um, which was a big deal because that's not something you did in your, <laughs> your family. And they told me to read a book, a, a cognitive therapy book, which is a good book, but you know, like I wasn't there to be given more to do type of thing. I was really looking for some empathy, I guess, or somebody to say, hey, what's expected of you is is not reasonable, <laughs> you know, to really validate that. And that sort of carried over in residency. I had my daughter two weeks into internship year of residency, wow. which was, um, this was before duty hour restrictions. And I, I certainly recognized psychiatrists weren't keeping the same hours as, as the surgeons in those days. But um, it was a lot. I was trying to learn to be a doctor and a mom at the same time. That is a lot. Um, I'm still learning to be the whole momming thing. So that's like a never ending situation. <laughs> yeah, I'd like to say it gets easier. But, um, you know, I started by saying I was great. I've actually sort of had a whirlwind of the last 24 hours and that my I specialize in college mental health and my daughter is a college student. And she's having some mental health issues. And mm -hmm. I spent the afternoon helping her, you know, email and and get ready to take a break mm -hmm. um so if that doesn't you know then you're doing a, a podcast later in the day on imposter syndrome <laughs> if you're a college mental health specialist and your kiddo's struggling what does that what does that say so it, sort of like every time i think i'm over imposter syndrome there's like another little layer to it you know? yeah it's a good point i mean our brains really are never going to give it up i don't think um and at, you know better than me, but you know, they're just, it's just trying to keep us safe. And I think the most important point is that we all let each other know that we have, our, we are having the same thoughts. And it's interesting that you mentioned even back in medical school where you went for help and that wasn't like the first thing that came up. They could have people saying to you that 
everyone feels that way. Yeah, you know, I, I never heard about it. And I think even in psychiatry, where you think we're learning about people's mental health, and perhaps we're, you know, kinder in expectations. Um, for example, my, my daughter was quite small, and I was pretty sleep deprived my first few years of residency. And, uh, you know, my husband usually did drop off for daycare. And he happened to be serving in Army National Guard. So I was in charge. And it's a lot to get your, your kiddo ready and be at the hospital on time. And, you know, I think a lot of people can relate to that. So, um, you know, I just, we had to provide breakfast. So I grabbed the closest thing. As always, she liked these little frozen pancakes. They were like her favorite. So mm -hmm. I took them. I'd take a box and she'd sort of eat them all week or whatever. And the daycare worker said to me, you know, here I'm a, like a child and adolescent psychiatry resident. I feel like I have some like <laughs> understanding of parenting. And she's like, well, you should really bring something else for your baby, like some eggs. They really need variety. And I was sort of like, you know, crushed, but that's not like the end of it. Instead of like going to work and, and somebody being able to like process that with me, I show up like two minutes late, you know, what's two minutes. And the attending called me the good enough mother. <laughs> which mm. here she comes the good enough mother like he didn't know what had just happened or that I was crying in the car and uh you know obviously good enough is a play on my my last name is good mm -hmm. but you know Winnicott talks about the the good enough mother that he he came up with the whole transitional object so babies learn to take care of themselves a little bit by soothing with a blanket or things like that but it didn't sound great. Like, I understand where it was coming from, but he said it repeatedly and it just, it didn't feel great. Um, and nobody wants to be the good enough parents. I mean, you want to be a great parent. You want to be a great doctor, but whichever side, if you're home, then you're not doing enough for your patients. <laughs> if you're at work, you're not doing enough for your kiddo. Um, so it, it's really a battle in our heads. You're right. Yeah. And I, it's, it's an interesting question to to ponder if that attending would have made the same comment to a male, you know, like a good the good enough father. Because I just don't think that I think as women we are. It's like we're always kind of seen juggling these different roles, like doctor, mother, wife, and it's less frequent. I think that men are seen also as a father in their job. Yeah, I think people expect that they'll be there regardless. Or I've I've worked with, I've covered for male physicians to go take care of their kids and stuff. And I don't, nobody says anything about it. But when mm -hmm. I would leave, it seemed like I'd get some comment about being a mommy tracker, even though I was the one, I was working just as many hours, if not more, um, than some of my colleagues. So, um, yeah, and I do think about how hard I pushed myself during that time. Mm -hmm. And uh, some of it was certainly needless, but can't get it back either. Yeah, so so I think that's an important point too, is you kind of have to, you know, see the past for what it is and work towards a better future with that in mind. So you know a lot about perfectionism, and I think that ties in with imposter syndrome really well. And certainly in our physician lives, but also in our mo motherhood lives, this perfectionistic obsession almost can really take hold. Um, can you speak to that a bit? 
Yeah, and I think some of it, it's ingrained in us in that, you know, the top students, you want to get into the best school so you can get into the best medical school so you can get into mm -hmm. the best resident, match with the best residency. And like, it's not something then all of a sudden you can turn off. I mean, um, medicine requires perfection. I mean, that's, we, and it really requires you to look at how we treat patients. What could we do better? You know, what have we learned? You know, so um you know, I never really, I think part of the challenge physicians, we don't really identify ourselves as perfectionists because our lives are pretty imperfect. I mean, you throw us into an imperfect system. Mm -hmm. And I think that really is a setup for, for burnout for a lot of people. And I think that, you know, we want to be the best doctors we can. We want, we work very hard on our professionalism and want to be able to present that to patients. Um, and you can't, you can't know or do everything all the time and it's mm -hmm. not always going to be uh, perfect, but it, it's a challenge. I mean, when I was treating patients, I was really suffering with some of my own mental health issues all, all along the way. Um, and I was doing all the right things. I was seeing a psychiatrist, I was doing therapy, and like, I just was not getting better. And it was really a factor of how hard I was working and taking care of everybody but myself. Um, but nobody around me really questioned my work ethic, you know, because that's sort of like expected, right? Yeah. So what made you eventually able to recognize that that was the culprit and make a change? Um, well, I mean, it's an ongoing process. I mean, I think for many of us, we do sit sort of hit a wall in a way that I got to the point where my asthma was so bad. I was actually in the hospital for four days and it took me at least four months of like steroids to get better. Um, and so I started practicing mindfulness just to help with my, my breathing. Um, of course I quit after I started feeling better because <laughs> I was too busy for this, this mindfulness stuff. Um, so I think once I got back into um, mindfulness and doing it regularly, I really started to understand self-compassion and it doesn't, it doesn't happen right away. Uh, but although I didn't go to mindfulness to treat my OCD, because that's not the evidence-based treatment for OCD, right? That's exposure response prevention, CBT. Um, it's the main thing that, is, that has helped it. And um, I was at a point where my OCD was so severe that I couldn't like go certain places like public restrooms, restaurants, um, just over these some of these contamination fears I had since a little kid. And um, the fact that I had those quirks, for lack of a better word, and was practicing as a psychiatrist at like the height of my career, you know, I was like a department chair, unit director. I had a busy, I was part of a group practice. We had like 60 employees and like, I couldn't go to a restaurant. I mean, it just was, it's, and I think that disconnect got to the point that I just, decided I, want, I didn't want to live like that anymore. And luckily I was working with a yoga teacher and things started to click for me. So this is, so I have, I want to talk about two things. So yeah. we'll start with the mindfulness thing because that means something different to everyone. And I would yeah. really love to know what it means to you. Well, I think mindfulness for me, when people hear the term yoga, I think they think just the, the um, twisting like a pretzel part of yoga and the postures. 
where really there are eight limbs of yoga and those include breathing practices, meditation. Um, so when I say mindfulness, um, I think sort of encapsulated is all that, whatever you need to do that's gonna help clear your brain so you can sort of notice what's going on. Um, I was spending a lot of my energy and, and not to say it's not an important part of coaching, reframing thoughts, but I had so many negative thoughts and obsessions that I had to reframe. It was just exhausting. Mm -hmm. Whereas using more of a mindfulness perspective, you don't have to change anything. You just sort of recognize it's there and you sort of learn to coexist with it. Mm -hmm. So rather than feeling defective for being the psychiatrist with all these negative thoughts and not being able to, it really did crush me that I couldn't like nail CBT. I really wanted to do well. <laughs> I just couldn't. So, um, you know, this, this was a, a gentler path and it really helped protect my energy. So I just started feeling better about my energy and how I was using it and making a choice on how I wanted to use my mental energy. That's great. So um, it seems like the role that mindfulness played for you was this, this like allowing of the thoughts without judgment. Mm -hmm. And I think that I've noticed that in my own life as well. It's like, it's half the battle is just not judging yourself for the thoughts that you have. And I think that we're so always so hard on ourselves that a thought comes up and then we're trying to fix it. And we're like, God, no wonder there's some, there, um, there's something wrong with me. I'm having these negative thoughts. And what mindfulness has done for you is just allowed that, that space for those thoughts to just be there without judgment. And that that's really eliminating half the suffering Right. And if I can really manage that, that's like, I think 90% of it a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. I think for me, the other yoga concept, philosophy concept that was so important was non-attachment. So if we don't judge our thoughts, then the next thing is another step is learning not to be as tied to outcome. And gosh, that's, that's hard in what, in what we do. Mm -hmm. I mean, in psychiatry, I've, I've practiced that for a while because work in does not equal work out. And, you know, a lot of it depends on the patient and we don't have as good treatments as maybe things that are more procedural medicine, um, those types of things. But I always thought like non-attachment meant you didn't care about the outcome <laughs> or weren't emotionally invested. And that's really not true at all. It's just, I can be upset without like worrying that or angry without worrying that I'm going to like go off or it used to create so much anxiety for me to be that angry. And now I can just sort of sit with it mm -hmm. and recognize that anger is just like energy for, for change. And they're, you know, I know a lot of people are hungry for, different types of change in the world. There's a lot of energy right now. Yeah, absolutely. So this non-attachment thing. So could it also pertain to like working with a patient or maybe if you're a coach, like working with a client and saying that I only have so much control over the outcome that this person has, like my patient has. I can only give them, provide them knowledge, juice surgery on them, whatever it is. And then there's that you have to detach from the outcome beyond that that's kind of out of your control. Does that is that kind of what you're talking about? Yeah, and obviously you still want your your patient to do well, but I think that the non-attachment part, at least for me, was that 
I'm, I'm not saying I'm a bad doctor if it doesn't go the way mm -hmm. that, you know, that, or, that I wanted it to. So your or, value is unattached to someone's outcome. Yes. Yes. That I know that I'm giving my best and I'm giving from a place of, um, you know, the energy that I'm putting out into the world and that's what I can do. Mm -hmm. um, just like I think people get very devalued sometimes in medicine because there's so many moving parts that we don't have control of. Mm -hmm. um, and that's very challenging for people that are high achievers. It, it just is. Um, and that's the nature of how we got to where we are. And it's, isn't it wonderful? That's, that's such a strength for us. But it's also something that can really mess with our head. Um, and I know that me spending an extra whatever amount of time on my notes isn't going to like change medicine, you know, mm -hmm. so it's all about making conscious choices. But I think what happens is we're so busy day to day, mm -hmm. that it's really hard to like, slow down and have clarity around those things. Mm -hmm. And certainly if people have a way to do that without practicing mindfulness, great, tell me what it is. But like, for me, I, I also think people don't always know like how efficient mindfulness is. I mean, mm -hmm. you can have pretty significant benefits with just a few minutes a day. There aren't many mm -hmm. other things that you can say that about. Yeah, I agree. And I think for a long time for me, it was, I was just confused about like what it really meant. And I, I was, instead of just like trying something, I was just really, I got caught up in, in worrying about doing it wrong. And now I know like, and all the other, being on the other side of that is like, you can't do it wrong. You just have to do it do it, try something, and then you'll figure out what's going to work best for you. Um, but exactly like you said, like the, the energy you put into it, you get like tenfold out of it. So it's definitely so, so such a huge, um, hugely impactful practice to have in your life. Well, and I think that's why it's important too for doctors who practice to be able to talk about the experience with other physicians, because um, when I first started, I did think I was doing it wrong. And <laughs> we're doctors, we don't like to do things that we're not Correct. good at. You yeah. know, like, that's just the way, even if you don't think you're a perfectionist, we all like to be good at stuff. But like, we have very busy, overstimulating practices and lives. Um, and there's a lot to process. Of course, when you start meditating, your thoughts are going to be, my thoughts would ping all over the place. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I didn't know that that was fine. That was my body releasing stress or that that didn't mean that it wasn't working, you know, but I think we we're led to believe or have the sense that this is a simple thing to sit and do nothing. And mm -hmm. that's not what it's about. So, yeah. And I've had people tell me like, Oh, I tried to meditate, but I just kept my mind kept wandering. <laughs> and I'm like, that's the point. <laughs> Yeah, and you just bring it back and you're like, notice that. Yeah. yeah, and I think that's now like when I still, when I'm, when I get stressed, I still get some like OCD-ish type stuff. And, you know, I'm just like, I see it now as like, this is a glitchy thing my brain does when I'm stressed out. It's not like, oh, you terrible psychiatrist, you can't control your OCD. And I just sort of have... Oh, that's just my brain doing my thing, doing its thing. And it, yeah. there's, um, there's such a, a relief in, in all of that, you know, and the more I talk about it um, with other people and other physicians, like it's just, it doesn't, it doesn't have this power over me. It was literally like this wound that wouldn't heal for probably mm -hmm. 20 years. So, 
Yeah. That's another, that's another point earlier that you brought up that I wanted to circle back to. It, it's this, it's this um, expectation that as physicians, we can, we should be able to be perfect at everything with regard to our own health. So you, so when it comes to like mental illness and there's certainly there's a stigma around there and it shouldn't be. And I think we're getting a little bit better about that now, but in, you know, there's this sh- almost this shame, like why I shouldn't be struggling with this. I, I'm, I'm a doctor. I went to medical school. I'm special. I am a specialist in mental health and I'm, you know, as a psychiatrist, I should know what to do. And there's that sense of failure. Like I am still struggling. And instead of, being able to recognize how much empathy and compassion you can provide to your patients compared to someone who's never had those struggles because you really can understand them because you've been there, but we don't focus on that. Instead, we focus on the fact that I can't, it's nothing's working or I can't CBT didn't work for me. And it's interesting because as a gynecologist, if I had, you know, say my uterus would not stop bleeding, you know, was bleeding irregularly and their traditional treatments weren't helping me. Or if I had gone through several miscarriages and I couldn't keep a pregnancy to full term, there would not be the same type of shame or stigma that there's associated with something like mental health. And I think that's a double standard because it's all just part of the human experience. And really, if whatever I go through as a gynecologist or as a woman in general always will help me to understand my patients and others in a, in a better way, no matter what it is. So it's interesting that our go-to is this shame or this, this, you know, Mm. this vulnerability. and, And instead of realizing that that human experience is only helping us in the future with helping others. I think if we can spin it that way, what are your thoughts about that? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, ultimately, I think it is this deep-seated fear that we won't be able to do our job or that, you know, the OCD would take over because I was getting to the point that I was driving to a lot of different sites. Some of them were like three hours a day on the road trying to get to some of these underserved Mm -hmm. um, areas for child psychiatry. Of course, now everything would be like (laughs) telepsych and those types of things. But at that time, there weren't the same waivers and the cross-county care. And um, literally, it's hard to drive that far away from home if you can't use the public restroom all Mm -hmm. day. I mean, and I mean, I would like adjust my water intake so I wouldn't have to go. I mean, it was, and, you know, again, the more stress that got about having it, the worse it got. And, and really in the end, you know, I saw it as a defect, but really I was so much more uniquely qualified to treat people. And I do think empathy is one of my, you know, real, real strengths. Mm-hmm. Um, some days you have to dig a little deeper to pull it out. Oh, for sure. <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah, so I, I, I do feel that way now, but there was a period of time where, again, I think it's just the busyness that that our brains get to. Um, but it, I do think it's different for mental health, and that's why it was so important for me to start telling my story. And one of the reasons I ended up writing a book because um, about my mindfulness journey um, because if I can't talk about my mental health then as a psychiatrist, then 
how can I expect my patients to talk about mental health? Mm -hmm. How can I encourage, you know, I'm involved with physician wellness programs at the local hospital. How can I encourage other docs to to come Mm -hmm. forward? I mean, we literally have docs who won't come to mindfulness programs because they're afraid that they will be labeled as a burnout um, or won't fill out a burnout survey for the hospital who says it's confidential because they just have that level of paranoia about it. Yeah. So talk to, do you mind talking a little bit more about the book and yeah, um, how it was writing it and, and all of that stuff? Yeah. So, I mean, that's another layer to the onion that is imposter syndrome. Oh, yeah. right? So we're yeah. a doctor and we become a writer all of a sudden, like, <laughs> who am I to write a book? And then you're out there like talking to people like you're some kind of ex- mindfulness expert. Because you right? are. And I was <laughs> not feeling particularly mindful earlier today. Um, you know, so um, even I'm, I'm teaching a live meditation uh, on Wednesday night and uh, I'm so nervous about it, even though like, it's just like a 20 minute, like I can probably read off a piece of paper, but you know, I think I just, time is important. And I I think we put that stress on ourselves, but um, yeah, the book I had started out, I wanted to write a book about mindfulness and um, really make it like this 12 step manage your anxiety program. And like, anytime I really started getting into like the topics and thinking about how to teach them the, the research, not that there is that much. It, it just didn't seem that important. Like really what was cutting through were some of my personal stories. So a lot of it is, you know, hey, it sort of opens with, you know, this night where I was totally overworked trying to do everything. <laughs> and I forgot my daughter at Barnes and Noble. I just forgot her. Like I was due to be at the school. She was supposed to be there. And I, I walked in and everybody's like, where's Hannah? And meanwhile, all my patients and their families are standing there looking at me like, oh my God, we pay this woman for like parenting advice and she forgot her kids. So, um, you know, th- those types of things. So um, I always think about it. If you want to learn, do you want to l- learn weight loss from somebody who's never had to lose weight or somebody who's been through yeah. it? That's sort, of, that's sort of the approach I took in the mindfulness book. And that if, if, if ultimately the goal of the book, I do have some um, activities in there. I hate to call them exercises because it makes it seem like work, but um, <laughs> just to get people started on some mindfulness activities, my goal is not to give people more to do. It's, it's more about, hey, maybe you could check out some of these things. Here are some ideas. Here's what worked for me. And um, really the goal is to look at being kinder to yourself. And ultimately, what a great way to lead by telling your story. And that's why podcasts are so popular because people come Mm -hmm. on, tell their stories and people take an interest in them. And, you know, it's a shared experience. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, that's great. And I'm um, definitely going to link it into an episode today so people can pick it up. It sounds like a really great thing. And it's, is it just for physicians or is it for anybody? Um, it's for anybody. So a lot of physicians have bought it just to share. I mean, one reason I wrote it was I have a wellness studio and I wanted to be able to teach, but also like there's just a lot of people in my life who would never consider doing yoga or meditation and, or say, like you said, oh, I tried that. It didn't work. Mm-hmm. Well, this is sort of, <laughs> the book is my response to that. Can't really, I couldn't really do it justice in like a 15 minute med check or, or, you know, over coffee at, at, at lunch or something. So 
Yeah. So it's called Own Your Present, and it's a psychiatrist's guide to mindful meditation and living more conscious lifestyle. Awesome. Well, let's end with, um, if you could give one piece of advice to someone struggling with um, imposter syndrome, or maybe your plug for putting in mindfulness into their lives, what would it be? <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm, I'm really going with good enough is better than perfect. Mm-hmm. And I really am able to embrace that right now. All my social, all my social media handles are good enough doc at this point, but good enough isn't settling. Good enough is saying, Hey, I'm aware of what's going on, how I'm feeling. I'm, you know, managing my energy. I'm really, you know, making some conscious choices to be available for the things that count. And that's ultimately what mindfulness can help you do. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time tonight, Candace. <laughs> sure. Thank you. One more thing before you go. I wanted to tell you about the amazing course I just put together and is available now and live at the lowest price I'll ever offer it. And it is all about how to coach yourself. So if you have been considering getting a coach, haven't been able to commit, worried about the financial investment, or just not quite sure if it's the right thing for you yet, then self-coaching is a really, really good place to start. It's exactly where I started my journey to becoming the confident and fulfilled physician that I am today and living with intention and living, living with purpose. For the past two years, have been working on material that I could offer other women to help them to get to where I am because there's nothing special about me. Anyone can feel this way with the proper tools and that's what self-coaching provides. So it is an in-depth and complete look into self-coaching, including what it is, why it's so important, all the tools that you need to know about self-coaching, and even a special module designed just to help you to solve your biggest everyday problems, including imposter syndrome, which so many of us struggle with. It also includes access to the private Facebook group where you can ask questions or seek support. And the part I'm most excited about is the opportunity to hop on group coaching calls every month where we can talk about specific problems that you're having. It's a safe environment where I can give you some personalized help and support as you go along this course and well beyond. Check out the link in the show notes page for this one-of-a-kind self-coaching course. It's designed mostly geared towards physician women or professional women who are struggling in their day-to-day life with a feeling of lack of confidence, feeling like an imposter, feeling like you're going through life reacting to everybody else's problems and no real direction for where your own life is going. I can help you get there and self-coaching is the way to do it.